I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. Free Guy. My name is Guy. Sunday should be warm and sunny, just a scattering of drive-bys. And I live in paradise. I've got a best friend. This is the greatest cup of coffee of all time. Oh, Mondays, am I right, Joe? You said it, Guy. Yeah. And I work at the bank. Everybody's out of the bank! I thought I had everything I needed. But then I met her. Everybody down on the ground. Everybody except you. Me? It's just a... Oh, please, I have a goldfish. There is something inside you, guy. I don't want something inside me. I expected you to just follow the rules, but you are so much more than that. Put these on. Okay. Fine. I do. Oh, my God! glasses or something guy there is no easy way to say this this world it's a video game you're not real please stop my and the guy responsible for this world is going to destroy it you've met god yes he's an absolute troll trolls exist buddy if we're not real doesn't that mean that nothing you do matters I am sitting here with my best friend trying to help him get through a tough time. Now, if that's not real, I don't know what is. I know this world is just a game, but this place, these people, that's all I have. So I'm not going to be the good guy. Thanks, guy. I'm going to be the great guy. Well, enjoy your lifetime supply of virginity. <laughs> Off you go. This whole good guy routine is ruining the game. Woo! Terminator. It's the first time I've ever driven a car before. I really wish you'd mention that. Yeah. I can't die! I'm never gonna die! And it is a packed table tonight. Welcome to our six guests. Brendan Agnew of Synapse. I can bench press a sentence. <laughs> Caro Nagisa. I only like three things. Talking about movies, TBD, and third thing here. <laughs> and Debbie Morse. Call me Molotov girl. <laughs> of sequentially yours. And Greg Downing. I waited outside by the murder train. Of Through the Wind Door. And <laughs> from our Discord, Chris Finnick. Catchphrase. And nice. Alexa Vargas, otherwise known as Pluto Burns on YouTube and Twitter. It's a sweet, sweet fantasy, baby. <laughs> so now, what would you have said, Sharon? Sharon Williams, the lady who married me and chased her name Shaw a while back. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I love that song. Get out of here, bubblegum ice cream. Okay. So at the time of recording, this is a brand new movie in cinemas right now, and we absolutely recommend being as safe as possible. Every trip out now carries more risk than it did before. But we are also a movie podcast, and we haven't had much opportunity to talk about cinematic releases at length since the rise of goddamn Skywalker. So the same as we talked about Black Widow, that's on TV. We talked about um, The Suicide Squad, which is on HBO Max. Now we're talking about... is This is just cinema at the moment? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Are they doing the 45-day... Yeah, that seems to be the thing now. It used to be uh, three months between uh, cinema and home, and they've they've lowered that amount. So they went, we tried 90 days. We tried zero days. Let's see the difference. (laughs) (laughs) And let's hope that 45 days, you know, reaps more rewards, because clearly trying zero days was disastrous in many cases. Mm. Okay, 
Now, ultimately, I think folks will be okay listening to us without having seen the film, since it is easy to dismiss this as popcorn trash, and I feel like what we're going to say will sharpen the focus of a lot of folks in their first viewing. So, far from spoiling it, we will, in fact, potentially augment and boost your appreciation and get you looking for your own observed details. I know that I probably would have enjoyed it a bit less had I not seen Bob Chipman's very enthusiastic and surprised uh, review where he was like, this is way better than everyone expected. And I concur. It feels like we are now in an era of more savvy directors who grew up with games. Everyone has been waiting for this renaissance of great game adaptations in cinema, but what we should have been expecting is exactly this, a film about being part of a video game. And we've already had that, technically, with a couple of others. So, but it, it feels honestly like, like, if you told me... 10 years ago, you know what? Really good films about being in video games are more likely than an Assassin's Creed film that's any good. I'd be like, actually, that makes sense because Assassin's Creed is a very self-serious kind of, you know, mechanics-based world and there's a lot of all oh, the secrets and the Templars and the, and it especially wouldn't be all that good now with all the conspiracy nuts out there. But um, It's more relatable because what you're essentially saying is you've played video games. Mm. Imagine if the console and the controller went away and you were just in it. Yeah. So the premise is fairly simple, but each subsequent scene layers on complications. I was kind of, I was impressed how it was like, this scene, they're actually not just going through the motions here. They're going, well, let's spice it up a bit with this. And, you know, the, 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 the layering did not go unnoticed. Guy wakes up cheerily, dresses, eats breakfast, says hello to his fish, buys a coffee, and works at the bank all day long. He does that every day. Meanwhile, the city is constantly overrun by criminals, all wearing sunglasses and committing acts of horrendous, chaotic violence. Guy thinks they're really cool heroes, even when they hold up his bank and hurt people. It turns out Guy is a non-playable character in a Saints Row-style sandbox game called Free City. It's an MMO experience like GTA Online, and Guy inevitably falls in love with a rad action lady with a British accent named Molotov. Meanwhile, in the real world, Molotov is an indie games programmer named Millie Rusk, who is actually scouring Free City for traces of the coding that she created with her business partner Keys, played by Steve from Stranger Things, several years ago. A goldfish bowl endeavor to allow the player the chance to observe an ecosystem of emergent gameplay. That code, Millie strongly suspects, was stolen from her by a shithead executive named Antoine, played by... Taika Waititi, and it was turned into Free City, this triple-A mess. To further complicate things, Keys now works for Antoine, and the sequel to Free City, Free City 2, is about to be released, which we discover will also entail the shutdown and destruction of everything in the original Free City, including our non-protagonist, Guy. Then one morning, Guy puts on the sunglasses of a real human player, gets ready to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and starts seeing Free City for what it really is. The movie unfolds as Guy begins to fathom what's going on and reacts in ways we probably wouldn't expect. So I have a dozen questions forming the backbone of this podcast. I've just... we watched 
Before we started this BBC interview with Ryan Reynolds and Jodie Comer and... I mean, it is based on, wait for it, video games. And What's just your... so I know where we're at, Ryan, Jodie, in your homes right now, how many video games are there? Zero! Yeah, there's words with friends, does that count as a video? <laughs> Was there just a smidge more, I don't know, motorcycle riding or bazooka firing than you expected? Now in this film you get to, and I mean this with love, carry out what would be my wildest dream of just doing all these cliches. Like Jody, you get to do walking away in slow motion maybe four or five times. Oh yeah. Like, this. Could you talk to me a bit about the unusual acting challenges of a film like this one? We've talked about the green screen, of course, but what is it like, for example, Ryan, having to act breaking someone's arm with your knee? <laughs> I've got to ask you, what is it like having scenes stolen from under you by streamers like Jack Septicai. I mean, that must be like, well, I'm a professional, right? But they're all talking about him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jody, you're obviously not in the UK right now. No. What are you missing from back home? What are the, are you struggling to find Marmites in LA or New York? Oh, I don't eat Marmite Alley. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this video, don't forget to subscribe and click the bell icon to keep up to date. You can listen to my Radio 1 movies and TV podcast, Screen Time, on BBC Sounds. And you can find these interviews in full on BBC iPlayer by searching Movies with Ali Plum. So that's how the professionals handle it. Let's do our thing. Free Guy seems to wear its influences on its sleeve. Question one, what films does this dip into the creative well of? What did it immediately, and then over time and reflection, remind you of in the past? You can also f fold in TV and books and things like that as well. And specifically here, I'm looking for concepts and how it presents the world to us. The Matrix and the Lego movie are kind of the most immediate, easy answers that sprang to mind, both mm -hmm. structurally and just the way, I mean, this is sort of like the inverse of the Matrix where the computer program doesn't know what's going on and the humans have to kind of clue it in. Someone mentioned something on the Discord, so I, I can't take credit for this. I don't know if it was one of the other people that is actually here, but they said to look at Free Guy as if it was Galaxy Quest from the perspective of the Thermians, the alien race that thought the show Galaxy Quest was reality. Ooh, interesting. Uh, historical documents. <laughs> Disney World employee working in the Pandora section. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> or someone okay. who, who's just uh, has spent so much time there that they've actually kind of forgotten what reality is. There's a like. real world outside. <laughs> weird side tangent: when we got out of the Avatar flight of passage at um, Animal Kingdom, um, I got something which Victoria told me was uh, that she named a technical term for it, but basically it's when you've been inside a simulation and you get out of it and into the real world and nothing feels quite right. When we got out of the cinema, it could also have been augmented by the fact that Sharon and Willow had not been to the cinema since the rise of Skywalker. But um, you were just sort of wobbling along going, huh, am I in reality or yeah. not? So <laughs> I totally did. And yeah, yeah, it was very similar to that. I think um, it's simulation sickness or simulation yeah. lag or something like that. But yeah, that, that sense of being totally immersed and absorbed in a in something which is not real in the sense that you can't see and taste and touch it. Um, but the... Um, 
there's a discrepancy between well I was there and now I'm walking on concrete and looking at things which are actually 3D Mm. it's very weird it obviously drew uh, stylistically in the action scene specifically from other video gamey movies that came before it, like uh, the Jungle, uh, not the ju- the Jumanji movies, mm, yeah, and also a little bit of Edge of Tomorrow or whatever the hell you want to call that movie. Um, live, die, <laughs> repeat. Uh, if that's what they've settled on now, sure. Um, I I do think it's um, sort slowly dipping its toes into um, over in the anime and manga sphere. The whole video game, but its reality thing has been pretty thoroughly mined since oh. Sword Art Online. It's got its own subgenre called isekai, and it's so oversaturated that now people are doing like, I'm in a video game, but I have no powers. I just know how to cook good food. Let's see what happens. And I think <laughs> I think specifically the um, the game that they were originally built for, not Free City, the indie Free game life. they were originally. Yeah, I, I do feel like Free Life is kind of tapping into that. Hey, we've kind of done video game violence. Can we see what happens when we, you know, don't do that? I think the, the Galaxy Quest observation is a really good one because this is also not necessarily an immediate, like, structure the way you could, like, name check the Lego movie or the Matrix, but in Free Guy is sort of doing a the serial numbers filed off riff on <laughs> Fortnite and GTA slash Saints Row very deliberately, mm-hmm. and it's it's capturing the flavor of that all, uh, like about as effectively as Galaxy Quest captures the flavor of Star Trek without mm. saying Star Trek, if you follow. Yeah, that sense of having the 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 fantasy world, and we know it's a fantasy world because the violence is so ridiculous and over the top, but because it's set in a real world looking environment, that violence feels weird and sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm. It's it, like yeah. if it was a if it was a fantasy video game that you were absorbed in, it wouldn't feel quite so weird that you have to go out and bash ten rats over the head with a club because <laughs> in a fantasy environment that feels integrated with your surroundings. I just watched recently uh, the movie The Thirteenth Floor, mm. which is the one with kind Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It kind of, and it kind of, it came, it had the unfortunate luck of coming out in 1999, mm. and I don't, it came out. It it was positioned as a competitor to the Matrix <laughs> before yeah. the Matrix came out. And so everybody, yeah, 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 everybody kind of forgot about it because of the Matrix. But like, it's a really interesting, like the exploration, I won't get into it like for spoilery reasons, but it goes a lot into the exploration mm. of being in a simulation and like realizing what does my life mean if I'm in a simulation and all that sort of thing. And Mm. so that, that has some of the same flavor as this, I feel like. Yeah. uh, Particularly guys, um, breakdown. Mm. This isn't real. None of this is real. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That also reminded me a little bit of, uh, Cronenberg's existence. Yep. That's on my list. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) See, whenever I watch existence, I'm like, "Uh yeah, yeah, no, there is no way this would be in the most popular video game. It's too weird and creepy. Mm -hmm. It's like saying that Silent Hill was the biggest selling game. (laughs) Like the the 18th Silent Hill was the biggest selling game of 2009. Yeah. Oh, and the play. Or were David Cronenberg movies 
Oh, I'm sorry. Sure, you go. Not, Not even chipping your eyes. You've got to strap yourself to a giant kidney via an umbilical cord. I shove know. it in your back. I had to study this movie at college. You've got to get a grinning Willem Dafoe <laughs> to f- stick a road drill in your spine. <laughs> I felt like the thing that movie was the most effective at was showing us David Cronenberg's fetishes. Yeah. That's... So is every David Cronenberg movie, in, in fact. Existence is a really bold experiment in imagine if video games were designed by David Cronenberg mm. and somehow <laughs> loads of people liked them. See, David, this is why we don't let you do anything else. Ah, I'm making a gun out of human teeth. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> But like, again, it's a it's a really kind of fascinating film as long as you suspend disbelief a lot. Mm. Um, okay, anyone else got any others? I it, yes. it, for me, it definitely had overtones of the Truman Show. Yeah. That sense of, yeah. of being in a yeah. world that you are completely convinced is real, and then you find out someone else is pulling your strings. Not so much to begin with because he's a nobody. Yeah. Whereas, if, imagine if Truman was just a person in this in city, that world, and then yeah. suddenly people took a major interest in yeah. him. Suddenly, when Guy is famous, everyone's obsessed with him, and it becomes its own Truman yeah. Show. Definitely towards the second yeah. half. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I. Feel that there's a lot of Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg in Waititi's um, yeah. Antoine. Yes. Yeah. But Antoine is so much more of a wanker. Like, he is such a wanker of a villain. <laughs> he, he's well, a... Yeah, I imagine that Zorg, if it weren't the 90s, would be that, would be that wanker. Yeah. Um, your, your discussion of existence reminded me of a game mm-hmm. uh, movie, but it's actually kind of the complete opposite of Free Guy Gamer. But yeah. The, yeah. The, the two guys who directed Crank mm. and with oh t- oh god, their whole like Second Life parody in that game in that movie was just very very bad and uncomfortable. Is that the one with like the the the, the horrendously unkind depiction of a gamer guy who's like this fat guy like stroking him? So, yeah, yes, that's the one. And doing terrible things. Yep, that made me ill. Even fans of CrossFit Shrek might actually consider this one to be one of his lowest. Uh, the more thing about it, I thought Chris. it was almost like weirdly like the anti like Wreck It Ralph. It would like had like the mm-hmm. opposite ideas of Wreck It Ralph. And, and it was like it, it was like the whole thing about Wreck It Ralph was ends up being like, oh well, everyone's got their place and you got your job to do, and everyone, if, as long as people appreciate you doing your job, it's great to do it. And and free guys like, no, do like, you can't just be stuck doing this one thing forever that one person told you to do. You got to break out of your shell, man. Yeah, honestly, um, that that scans actually. And, and while we really do do like uh, Wreck It Ralph, especially more than its sequel, it does have that. Get back in line of you know for Ralph at the end, and like now that he's met Vanellope, it's more bearable. But it's still like worshiping capitalism. You've got to keep of, doing the same thing. You've got to get your you place. You can reframe it so you're happier with it, but keep doing the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 basically the episode of The Simpsons where Homer puts up you know don't forget you're here forever. He puts up Maggie photos on it, so it's do it for her. That's Wreck It Ralph. Yeah. Yikes! Yeah, pretty much. Yes. When I went to watch it a second time. I kept thinking, this is a photo negative of Deadpool. Oh, okay. Because, so Deadpool was insanely popular because it managed to combine the horribly over-the-top violence of Deadpool with some real heart behind it in places. And it feels like other movies have been trying to do that again, specifically with Ryan Reynolds the hitman's bodyguard and hitman's wife's bodyguard, both of which I've seen, mm-hmm. are a much darker, uglier version of that. Mm-hmm. This feels like 
they're taking Ryan Reynolds, and in some ways they're going in the opposite direction. A couple of other ones that uh, it reminded me of, Tron. And I just, I thought, I would really love to go back in time with a copy of Free Guy on, I suppose, VHS and show it to a kid who's <laughs> just disc. seen Tron. <laughs> and, uh, and and the kid would be like, all right, okay, so like I've just had my mind blown by what if I was in a computer. Then Free Guy, they'd be like, yeah, but video games are not going to be actually like this. And we're like, oh, not dissimilar. <laughs> And I'd just love to see his mind just explode. They live, as I referenced earlier with the whole sunglasses thing, and just the whole seeing below the surface. There are flavours of uh, They Live's uh, massive anti-capitalism screed that it is within Free Guy, but they're more subtly laid down. Um, Another film that came out around about the same time as The Matrix, which I don't think everyone remembers quite how out of nowhere that film came. Like... um, Bound was just a, a lesbian noir that barely anybody saw and didn't make any money. And the, the Matrix looked like Johnny Monomic. And people were like, well, this is going to be like Chain Reaction. And it turned out to be like, like everyone was expecting The Phantom Menace to be the thing that rocked 1999. But the other one was The Matrix. And uh, I'm, I just wanted to read a, uh, a tweet that Brendan sent me uh, after I asked him if he wanted to be on the show. He was like, oh, yeah, I'm seeing it tonight. And then he came back and said, I just watched Sean Levy eat Steven Spielberg's lunch. Would you care to elaborate on that, Brendan? <laughs> Well, uh, Sean Levy made a better Ready Player One movie in less time than Steven Spielberg did. And I'm one of the people who actually likes Ready Player One, like at least a decent bit. Um, And I think it, you know, it goes to that again, you know, he's got, you know, the serial numbers filed off. So he's not as beholden to some of the like more awkward concepts. But if you look at the broad shapes of the story, it's not horrendously different um i mean you i i have like a whole like little mini thing about um just the character of of millie slash molotov and how she's like a really cool um do you want to do that now different yeah um so this this was specifically bouncing around in my head because if if you look at the character of artemis in ready player one if you look at the character of wild style in the lego movie if you look at the character of trinity in in the matrix there's a lot of what what I've kind of like started cataloging as the secretly insecure badass lady mm-hmm. who on the outside, she's like tough, badass, kicks kicks all sorts of booty in this one particular lane. But there's another lane where she's like, oh, no, I'm insecure about who I think I'm in love with. I'm insecure about whether or not I'm special. I'm insecure about this birthmark thing. And Millie's like, you know, no, I just want my shit back. <laughs> <laughs> that's it like she's she's a you know she's someone who has like mastered this because she's just that fucking good she built this she's not like i mean she she discovers like yes she's got feelings but it's not like this thing that she's secretly hung up hung up about like it's it's just a small part of her of her character growth you know they don't try and like it, it's just like a thing that she happens to a long way that's really cool she's you not know built she's out of imposter syndrome yeah, she's she's there to prove that she made this special thing that someone stole it from her and is using it in ways that have like polluted its original purpose and she is there to find justice and like and that's it. And it's really cool for that to be, you know, cuz that's normally the sort of arc you would give like a, a male hero. There's several ways that they like, you know, they give her the true love's kiss, wake sleeping beauty moment when she wakes up the computer program who's a male character. Like that's 
that's just kind of neat. <laughs> I'm just Marge with the potato here. It's like, oh, I just think this character is a neat version of these things that we've son done and she's done in like more interesting ways because that's sort of like the 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 secret weapon of free guys it takes all these ingredients is like but what if we did like this kind of really smart not necessarily cliche thing and that buys it a lot of ground when it's also trying to say if you ax the servers the game go bye-bye there's some ways where it really stretches credulity but i think it buys itself a lot of a lot of mileage in the ways that it's smart about playing in those areas there were two things that her um trying to get vindication and 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 find her existing code within the game reminded me of rather than paraphrasing what they said i went straight to the source the first one is an ancient Jim Stephanie Sterling Jimquisition episode when they were working for the escapist who themselves have treated several creators that I know badly but it was about creators being muscled out of their own creation. When you examine what copyright is in today's society, you realise that it's not about protecting the rights of creative artists, as the MPAA, ESA or RIAA would have you believe. It's about already rich men getting richer. After all, who owns most copyright these days? The artists themselves? <laughs> if only. No, the rights belong to Universal Media Group, to Sony, to a hundred suited executives who haven't created a damn fucking thing in their worthless, useless, self-serving lives. To use a video game example, Metal Arms Glitch in the System is one of my favourite titles. It's an obscure game, but a classic one. This was developed by Swinging Ape Studios and published by Vivendi. It didn't sell too hotly, mostly because the publisher didn't promote it worth a shit, but Swingin' Ape had plans for it. In fact, game creator Steve Rank had the plot of an entire trilogy written out. Only trouble is, Vivendi was eaten by Sierra, and Sierra owned the rights to Rank's creation. He asked to have it back. He even offered to buy it, but Sierra said no. Bear in mind, Sierra had no intention of ever creating another Metal Arms game again. Sierra has since been consumed by Activision, and it still presumably owns the rights, and has just sat on them, doing nothing, letting the IP rot. Now an ordinary person would assume it'd be better to just give the man his rights back, but no, that's not how companies work. They work by hoarding licenses to other people's creations, so they can repackage them and squeeze as much milk as possible from a dust-spewing cow. There will never be another Metal Arms game again. The best it can hope for is a stagnant digital re-release that nobody knows about. And the second, remarkably similar scenario is from Jenny Nicholson's recent epic-in-length dissertation on The Vampire Diaries a humdrum soap opera about vampires based on the book series originally written by L.J. Smith. So just like the TV show, the books had a love triangle of Stefan, Damon, and Elena. Just like on the show, Damon was overwhelmingly the fan favorite, and he was also the author favorite. However, he was not Alloy Entertainment's favorite. Allegedly, they saw where Smith was taking the story, and they told her that it had gone too far from their original vision, and that Elena had to end up with Stefan. Smith disagreed, and she was fired. Yeah, that's right. Remember that work for hire stuff? Vampire Diaries 
series is, for all intents and purposes, L.J. Smith's brainchild, but she does not own the series. Even so, I'm sure she felt a degree of job security after her books spawned a TV series and became famous, but she was wrong, and they fired her in 2011 as the show was entering its third season. And all because they were Team Stefan. Who's Team Stefan? L.J. Smith wrote books one through seven, and then there were six more books after that. They still say created by L.J. Smith on the cover, but if you read the small print, they clarify that they were not actually written by her. Three of the six books, we don't even know who wrote them. It's literally an unknown, uncredited ghost writer. I find that very spooky. It's such a big franchise, like, how can that happen? Alloy retained the rights to what L.J. Smith had submitted to them, so allegedly the first two books after she left still used some of her outlines, and even some passages of her writing may have made it into the finished product. But she's made it clear on her personal website that, as released, the books do not follow her intended vision. And I guess we'll just never know her intended vision, right? Some fans of the series bought the new ghost-written books, and L.J. Smith charitably told them not to boycott it, God knows why. But a lot of her fans abandoned the series because it was inauthentic, and also it was a bad thing that Alloy did to her. And meanwhile, since she had already plotted them out, L.J. Smith went on writing the Vampire Diaries books that she wanted to write. But unfortunately, because she didn't own the rights to her characters, this writing would just have to go into her personal files because there was no legal way to distribute them. Right? So, fun fact, from 2013 to 2018, Amazon's Kindle Marketplace launched Kindle Worlds. This was a short-lived project which allowed fanfic authors to publish their works for profit on the Kindle Marketplace. The works could only use materials from a pre-approved list of copyright holders that Amazon had already signed an agreement with. Readers would pay to access these fics, and then the profits would be split between the writer and the copyright holder. This was a pretty unprecedented concept, and as you can imagine, it was really hard to find copyright holders who were willing to go in on it. In in fact, upon the project's launch, they had only signed an agreement with one copyright holder, and it was Alloy Entertainment. <laughs> the properties available for use were Gossip Girl, Pretty Little Liars, and The Vampire Diaries. So by an extremely weird twist of fate, L.J. Smith was able to not only publish, but profit off of her unreleased Vampire Diaries books, which were now fan fiction. I doubt she actually made that much money off it, but I am glad she got to get her work out there, and in the process, make Alloy Entertainment look like fools, which in my opinion, they are. Really mean fools. Greedy, mean fools. The series that brought women to the front line. Ivy Jones, strike right now! And dared to show the other side of war. He gave him a home before he died so far away from it. Hits the beach with the most anticipated DVD release in 25 years. China Beach. So yeah, those two tangents from two of my very favorite YouTubers that I heartily recommend. Just hauling out copyright law and corporate espionage. It's, it's effectively buying a house and then just keeping it empty for years because you know that when you sell it, you can make more money off it. But in the meantime, nobody can live in it. You just described the housing crisis. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. There's a reason that all of these things are connected. Now imagine they bought... All the houses. And this kind of reminds me of Ready Player One, where this horrendous hellscape of the future implies that there's no new IPs that weren't created after, like, the 1995 end point. Like, if you, you can have a Mortal Kombat, maybe, in there. And then a couple of things from around the 2010s, like Minecraft and Halo. 
Uh, but just no new IPs. No one's creating anything new. And even if they did, no one would buy it because they only want existing uh, recognizable IPs, which are all owned by massive company X. It's rather amusing that this, like, this came out just the weekend before we found out that the uh, the activist is it Epic Games that basically said, "Hey, Among Us, your game modes in our game now. This we're we're just ripping off Among Us for Fortnite." Yeah, yeah, that's Epic. Player Unknown Battlegrounds introduced the battle royale was not brand new, but it, it sort of like laid the template, and then Epic came along and went, "We'll do that." brighter, more colorful, and more appealing. And then Fortnite was huge, and PlayerUnknown was left without a leg to stand on. And then every single massive multiplayer game jumped on the bandwagon and threw in a Battle Royale mode. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's it's not even the one that gets there first, it's the one that gets there biggest. Loudest, yeah. Loudest, yeah. It also can't be an accident that Taika Waititi's company is named Tsunami when... Because yeah. Tsunami wanna... is Tsunami and fuck Tsunami. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it, um, in terms of like Blizzard mm. specifically, that's... Mm. Yeah. I, I don't know if, I don't know mm. if the, um, the, what's it called, the font was similar, although I was thinking that in one depiction of Free City... When it was inscribed on a um, a passing blimp, that the um, the font looked a little bit like the Far Cry font. Mm. Um, but returning to Millie for a second yeah. here and her particular arc, if there's one thing that I love, and this is skipping ahead to the end a little bit, but the layers upon layers of her confrontation with Taika Waititi's character, Antoine, and saying, it's time that I stopped playing your game and started playing mine. As in literally finally making the game that she intended Mm. rather than the battleground being the free city that Antoine corrupted. Yeah, It's an expansion, in fact, of the only way to win is not to play. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. And this kind of has a, uh, a different um, and, uh, ending than um, Ready Player One as well, where Ready Player One was kind of like, well, you know, we all like playing video games, but maybe get out once in a while. So we've made... <laughs> maybe everybody take Tuesdays off. Yeah, yeah. so the servers crash <laughs> on Wednesday morning. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the whole the end point is get yourself a girlfriend. And at, at the end, that's not actually like that's one of our last questions, but it's not actually how it concludes. It doesn't ha- it, it has much more of a we're going to go somewhere with this rather than just proceed. Just go outside more about well, this horrendous, I'm- addicting opiate of the masses that the uh, Oasis represents. I love that the basically the moral of this movie, and I, I can say this later if you'd rather. No, go for it. Uh, is the fact of like even under capitalism, the way we have things now, you can make passion projects and still be successful with them. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make all of the money, as Jim Stephanie Sterling would say. Like you can make some of the money and do quite well with that. Yeah. And that's still that's still viable, and that's like I love, I love that message because I'm like, yeah, that's real, you know. Like unlike Ready Player One, which, you know, had a, a host of problems, like, and not that this is perfect, but like this felt very realistic and very like 
yeah, hey, let smaller creators make the things they want to make without them turning into, you know, nothing or a multi-million dollar juggernaut. Yeah, it doesn't there's, have to be that binary. There's some subtle elements of how they get that across as well. A couple of the things that I noticed were, um, A, the difference between Millie's apartment and Key's apartment. Mm. He works for the man, she doesn't. Mm. His apartment yep. is yeah. really nice, and he's a fairly low-level employee, um, but yeah. her apartment is... It, it's it's adequate, it's livable, but it's tiny. Mm. Um, and then uh, there's a moment when... Uh, Antoine is talking to him about moving him into a different department. Does he not want to come and work with the programmers and write his own code? And he says, I know you've got the brains for it, and Keys won't do it. And the it, it's never stated outright, but I kind of picked up that he would rather sit and... Uh, do grunt work of, of combing through and finding the errors in somebody else's code than write something himself and have it be for Antoine. If he does anything else that's his own work, he wants it to be for him. I think there's also a, an undertone to that of he doesn't want... He is punishing himself. His code... Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. his code became Free City... He hates it. He knows that Millie hates it, but he has sold his soul. And as a result, he sees himself as, well, I should do the grunt work. I shouldn't be a creator because obviously I failed at creating and I have made this monstrosity that I despise. And I don't deserve to create new things. Mm. Ah, nice. I do like how incredibly on board with helping her he gets, like the, uh, like in a selfless way, and uh, as he should be positioned. It's not, and he is not awarded her in in the end. It's it's a it's a case of he's a decent guy, which actually pertains to other <laughs> questions we've got coming up. Um, what does this do differently to the one the the influences that we mentioned? Like we've already mentioned a whole bunch of things that we liked, but is there any way that you can think of that it directly spins? I think one of the ways I was really impressed with it is that it's multi-layered <laughs> about broad concepts and uh, recognizable types rather than specific IPs and, and games rather than taking something very specific and then doing a very broad reference to it. I um I know well I made the comparison to, you know, <clears throat> Live Die Repeat and the uh, the Jumanji movies, which play really heavily on the respawning mechanics. And this movie just kind of crams that into like one uh joke montage where you see him die a few times, he gets back up, and like we're really through that because the movie is much more interested in having actual stakes, yeah. which are hard to do when everything has to be confined to, oh, well, if he just dies, he responds. They pretty quickly change the rules from, yeah, he can die any time in the game and respond, but what if you shut down the game? It becomes a very, like, it becomes a real death. Like, this, this character, I mean... It, aside from whether you smash the servers actually destroy the game that's a you know that's a real world nitpick whatever but mm. like if, of giving it the stakes that if this game d is destroyed he is destroyed and that's real death that is the, the death of that character it's also if you think about it the death of emergent ai the entire city worth of people end up learning from each other and antoine would happily destroy that 
in its infancy. Just as a don't tell me what to do flex. Side note, this is the second time Taika Waititi and Ryan Reynolds have worked together as the director was his awkward mate in Green Lantern. They had him right there, a man fully capable of directing a way better Green Lantern film than Martin Campbell of Casino Royale and GoldenEye did. And he was just the geeky guy with the fluffy haircut. So I, for one, cannot wait to see what Lil Rel Howery, who plays his buddy in this movie, makes with, I don't know, Ms. Martian in seven years' time. Oh, and when Guy gets hit by first one car, spins through the air, then another, pirouettes and lands on the pavement, that's how Brad Pitt dies at the beginning of Meet Joe Black. Back then, in this serious romantic drama, it drew hilarious giggles from the audience because it looked so strange and funny. So that scenario now has a home in Free Guy. I can't die! I'm never gonna die! There's so many times in this movie where they'll take a thing that a lot of movies would build the whole movie around. It's very easy to imagine a version of this film that's just Guy leveling up to go on the big mission with Millie and then he becomes like fully self-aware and then they discover AI and then someone puts the game in a museum and that's like the ending and and it's like there's a you know maybe 100 minute version of that that's but, tron legacy like, only he's exactly. the uh, uh he's <laughs> olivia wilde in that movie yeah or raiders but, but like, of the lost ark yeah and but like alexa said it's it's it breezes through like these things and it's just doing so much like there's so many ways that this movie begins much later than you would normally try and start this movie like it doesn't try and front load a whole bunch of like exposition you've got like a little bit of the montage with ryan reynolds but there's so much that it just trusts the audience to catch up on like the whole relationship with keys and millie that's like laid out in a few sentences and a lot of character interactions and there's just like so much stuff that it's cramming into less than two hours that that i think it's it's a way that it really differentiates itself it's it's got a lot of plates spinning in the air and it handles them in a way that makes it look easy when we've seen so many other movies fall over themselves doing a lot less. I, I also genuinely appreciate how quickly it skates by the uh, ethics of AI existence. Mm -hmm. Like they, they, they discover guy is a real artificial intelligence and then million keys are basically, well, he's alive and we've got to protect his life. There's no question of the ethics or, you know, something that Star Trek would spend an entire 40-minute episode on. They're just like, he's alive. Yep. Okay, moving on. See, I wish they'd just done that in, uh... Like, every single movie about cloning, they spend so much of it going, Do you know what she is? And it's like, they're so disgusted with the idea that this is a clone. And it's like, well, they don't have a soul. They're not real. They're not alive. And it's like, could, could we just, just imagine they do and move the fuck on, please, quick? <laughs> This movie's like, yeah, we've litigated that question in fiction for, you know, three or four decades now. The answer is yes, they are a person. Let's move forward. There's which is much nice. More interesting, there's a much more interesting movie on the other side of this question. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. They all, that we have now seen. <laughs> the, the core of the movie, uh, for folks who haven't seen it especially, is that once Guy realizes he's in, well, 
not so much. I don't think he really starts to conceptualize he's in a video game, but he he realizes what's going on in the world to a degree,、mm-hmm. and that he can that there are other people visiting this world, and that he can do things himself that aren't just working at the bank. He gets a new tool set to、yeah. interact with the world with. But his decision, rather than just go nuts and start blowing stuff up and stealing things, is just to is to kind of counteract violence、uh, and steal stuff from violent people. If you've ever been In Grand Theft Auto Online, it's basically like the Purge, but but it's in the middle of the day and everyone in the city's acting normal as opposed to get inside. It's the Purge, and there are psychopaths roaming the street who will run you over and then squat on your corpse and like like hunt you down and kill you no matter what,、um, just for shits and giggles for lols. Trolls, as they are referred to by、uh, Molotov, but Guy decides to effectively be. Good. It's kind of vague how he does this, and it doesn't really make that much sense in a game where you're actively encouraged to be a homicidal kleptomaniac all the time. But it does make a statement, purely by the execution of its themes, on the prevalence of constant aggressive competition in our games and violence, where the only consequences are benefits. I think there's there's a discussion to be had there. Now is not the time. <laughs> This podcast is not necessarily the place, but there's something to be looked at there with regards to the the creation of the game doesn't make you behave like that, but it gives the capacity and it gives you a pathway that and it makes the consequences、that. all positive. Exactly, and as a result, that's the route that people will go down. And they again, this is something that's discussed fairly briefly. But what the, the game that Million Keys wanted to create was giving people a pathway that was more about observation and excitement about a, an evolving, emergent world, and just being interested to see the new stuff that other people would create. And while there have been games that have offered that as a possibility, it's. It's rare, and it doesn't tend to have that same open-world sandbox feel to it. It'll be something like Little Big Planet, where you get to play other people's levels、mm. or something like that. You certainly can't create an environment where people are, are, are parachuting in and firing off rocket launchers all the time.、Mm. Yeah, you try growing a garden in GTA. <laughs> <laughs> Someone will come and step on it. Yeah, <laughs> that, that actually sounds like a really interesting metagame challenge. I don't think the mechanics are there though.、Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So well, it, Sharon brings up a way that it's it's another you know I think it was、um, it was Greg who mentioned that this is a photo negative of Deadpool in that Ryan Reynolds' character in Deadpool knows he is in a thing that is fictional and therefore nothing matters, whereas Guy takes everything at face value in his world, even the fantastical stuff, and therefore everything matters to him.、Hmm. Well, that's I, an actual point in the movie when when it's revealed to Guy that he's in a video game. And there, and that he's an NPC, and therefore his life doesn't matter. It goes to one scene between him and Buddy, where it's、yep. where it's nihilism, like nothing matters,、mm. and Buddy comes back with existentialism. This matters right here. Therefore, we need to go with what this means and its importance. Yeah, the meaning、exactly. is what we bring to it. I, I'm not even sure Guy ever fully grasps. What is actually going like? Like Millie sits down and explains it to him, 
but I'm not sure he actually has like the frame of reference to get what mm. she's saying. Yeah. Like he just comes away with none of this is real. Like I don't think he fully understands what it means that he's in a video game. Well, Millie also did an exceptionally bad job of explaining it. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Like, I'm, trying, I, I, I'm listening to her speaking. I'm like, no, no, that, there, there's so much better ways. You are clearly a programmer and not a writer. Yeah. <laughs> but that does tie in with humans trying to comprehend the magnitude of the universe or the, the concept of, of our internal frameworks. We, we don't have the brain capacity as individuals to do it. We can only understand these things when we start to uh, connect our brain capacities together using technology. And Guy is just one person all on his own. Mm. Also, as the AI develops, it's refreshing to see that its decision is not kill all humans to defend myself. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, there's so many examples of fear of creating AI because the authors see us as a race as irresponsible. And the the conclusion is so often, well, if you were created by us, what would you think? Well, we're going to treat them like shit for decades. Of course they're going to try and kill us. Let's just not invent them in the first place. Well, yeah, yeah. But, but, but there are so many where you're like, you invent AI and the AI is like, I spent three seconds on the internet and you must all be wiped out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's really, it's Fair. neat to see that Guy kind of defaults to well why don't we just sort of like just hang out and get get along and do stuff and explore and uh, just he he represents a spirit of cooperation which seems much more in keeping with a version of nature whereby we evolve rather than the than the um like constant (coughs) competition and that's where i think the philosophy of this movie lies is it's presenting us with, imagine if we lived without competing with each other for everything all the time. And yeah. it presents us effectively with a heaven-like existence at the end when we we end on this goldfish bowl of the uh, program that is found as effectively an, an island, an Eden. And then it throws up... A, you know, a building-filled city that is at the same time swathed in green nature. It's sort of soothing and allaying all of our fears that we are just going to destroy ourselves. It's going. It's effectively giving us a Star Trek future and going, but within this digital world, we can just expand and explore. We don't have to destroy ourselves and each other. I did not expect that the 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 bit between right there at the end between Guy and Buddy mm-hmm. when he says and I don't remember exactly the line but basically so what do we do and and Guy looks at me he's like whatever we want yeah and it like the that hit my my socialist heart. Like, right in the field. Yep. Right in the field. To to expand on that, what's the first thing Buddy does? It's the same thing he does every day. He drops his gun belt on the floor, but then he goes off to then do whatever he wants to do after that. He leaves it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Grabthar's hammer moment of this movie, where it's like, it's taking something that was a joke that was referenced a couple times. It's like, oh, no, 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 this isn't just a joke. It's a thematic statement. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And there, there is an argument to be made that the reason that Guy thinks that way is because of the twist that we learn towards the end of the movie about what his, uh, his algorithm, if you like, is based on. 
But I think the, the, the point that they're trying to make is this is not just about one person and how one person sees the world. It's about how humans have the capacity to see the world if we give them the freedom to do so. One of the first things I read uh, when I got back from the cinema and was thinking, um, wow, it, it was really nice to see a film where kind of the human race catches up to this whole maybe constant violence and, and, and uh, competition all the time is, is, is not necessarily good for us on a spiritual level. Um, and I read the, an article which said, how dare Disney give us this? that seems to decry uh, corporate products when it itself is corporate. Like, it rings hollow when, if they say anything which is uh, uh, anti-capitalist, because you, Walt Disney, are the ultimate capitalist. And part of this uh, article review also said that the, the action in the movie all takes place in a video game, so none of it matters. And I thought, yeah, that's the point. My question, yeah, did, next question is supposed to be... Did somebody miss the movie? How, how does the action register in the movie? I found... Like, I'm going to answer this one myself. Uh, but by all means, like, like if, if you have counterpoints, please make them. Uh, the action in the movie registers as obnoxious. It's what they're using to bring in the crowds and go, Look, it's like a video game. It's like Fortnite. We're firing off rocket launches. Yay. But Guy in the film is effectively our peaceful perspective character. And you've got explosions happening all around him, which it's an interruption of coexistence that's going on in the city. And it's firing off explosions for fun, but juxtaposed with imagery of everybody get down, there's an active shooter. Another one, this happens six or seven times a day. That shouldn't be what we go through. It shouldn't be a tolerable, regular, daily instance. This should be an anomaly. This should be an aberration. We've had a rise of two things in the past 20 years since Columbine. A rise in the frequency of active shooters in America and a rise in publicly vocal people who say, shut up, stop talking about this, now is not the time to discuss gun legislation. Those weren't really children, those were paid off dwarves. Stop talking about the thing that's bad and you want to change it. Of worthy note and interest, some of the people saying, stop talking about this, were also the same people who were like, it's violent video games that cause all this to happen, whenever it's kids who do it. Before that it was music, before that it was TV, before that it was movies, before that it was comic books, before that it was books, before that it was theater, before that it was shadow puppets, before that it was looking too long at the moon. And similarly, the knee-jerk reaction from the loud gamer crowd is, Video games do not cause violence, do not take away our gun games! It's an endless cycle of bad faith arguments at crossed purposes, which succeeds in perpetuating a civilian supplying arms industry whose unfortunate side effect is spiraling chaotic violence. And then, so when it actually all happens and it's like, yeah, we're cool, we're doing two guns and it's like the Matrix and a John Woo and a thing like that. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, okay. Moving on to the next scene where they're actually talking about it. It never really felt to me like it was going, whoa, look at how cool this is. And you're supposed to take that on a non-ironic level. Yeah, well, the fact that everybody who's participating in these ooh-aren't-they-cool explosions is seems to be dressing out of the same wardrobe. Yeah. Here's the yeah, thing. Apparently, the art the art department at Tsunami is really underfunded. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Here's the thing. Yes, the action, as you were saying a moment ago, is bringing in the crowds, but the action is never the solution hmm. in anything that Guy does. Yes, at first he levels up by engaging in the fights, and we get a bunch of great action scenes because of that, although much less violent because, again, against Guy's nature. Hmm. But when he's trying to solve the problems that Millie is bringing him, first he unionizes the NPCs to not play the game anymore, and then when he goes up against dude, which we'll obviously talk a lot more about, he doesn't, well, he does fight dude at first, but you actually see a moment when what he does is like, no, dude, you are also more than you realize. And when we see him put on the sunglasses, we also see that guy could never have beat dude. Dude has infinite health, infinite money, infinite stamina. So the only way to defeat dude was literally to give him a different perspective. The, the action is always to to find a a character solution in the story. Like the the action itself is never the answer. It's always the road to like the next character interaction. Like Guy and Millie in the in the safe house, they they fail the action beat. They fail the mission, but we we the viewers win because we get to see their relationship develop in that context and then and then like their relationship goes from just being defined by how they work together in the game to how they interact in the game rather than just how they both shoot the gun mm-hmm. and it's it's always about building to the next character beat to the point where they just decide we're done with action for the entire like last you know big leg of the finale yeah but, what, what, I, what, what I find ironic about the whole thing is that despite that, that, that it's ultimately like an anti-violence movie where like things are solved ultimately peacefully, it still has some like of the best choreography I've seen mm-hmm. this year. Like like that bit where a guy is fighting for a gun from that one random mm-hmm. mugger. Oh, is, yeah. Yeah. It, it's better than in any action scene I saw in Black Widow, in all honesty. Yeah. Also, his sort of gormless expression reminds me a lot of Neo at the end of The Matrix again, where he's just kind of moving his arms because that's where he's supposed to move them. (laughs) It was also just a really nice showcase for Jodie Comer because I I did double check. She plays both uh, Millie and Molotov Girl like Mm -hmm. in the game itself. And like, damn, like she gets to do all the really solid acting stuff in the real world. But then in like the movie, in the video game parts, like she is doing a really good Trinity. Like it's way better than basically all those underworld movies that were trying so hard (laughs) to be Trinity. (laughs) Sorry, Kate Beckinsale. It does seem to be a point, and I could have been imagining this, that all of the guys who are playing this game, their avatar is not them. It's Channing Tatum or it's Ryan Reynolds, but she plays herself. Yeah, the um, the, the it, again, this I feel like is, is supposed to underline that the action is by and large supposed to be obnoxious. The stuff that's sort of going on in the background, it's superficially cool to look at and go, whoa, look at that. 
But um, the fact that the guy that they do meet, um, who's Channing Tatum on the inside, is is just on the outside. He's just a stereotypical kid, and they could have actually gone a little bit more on him and, and like made him. I mean, he's not quite as grotesque as the guy in uh, uh, Gamer is depicted, but he's he's got a little bit of Justin Long again in Galaxy Quest, and like, Mom, I can't believe you're making me take out the trash. <laughs> they did that in Wreck It Ralph Breaks the Internet as well, like the whole like you know this person looks really cool and badass but they're actually this um but well none uh, of them had a really cool vest yeah it was <laughs> neat how they got channing tatum who's obviously known for the uh, jump street movies and white house down and gi joe briefly but like, he's also really good at dancing because of magic mike and his uh, his original background that magic mike is based on so having him do like Fortnite dances was really like uh, that was a treat he would you could just see him holding back a massive grin like the entire time he's on screen. <laughs> I have a complicated feelings about Revengeman Buttons, a.k.a. Keith, which was actually the same name as the character that the actor Maddie Carteropel played in Stranger Things. Because if you look in the background of his room, it's full of the standard bunch of gamer stuff like you got a joust poster you got rick and morty deadpool even like we mentioned earlier joust uh, is definitely a reference to ready player one ah so th- there's there oh we yeah go. absolutely no and... no one actually likes that game <laughs> <laughs> nobody likes that game when it was new but on top of that like and, and this is one of my issues with the game in general, it when I, something I was thinking about when you talked about what would you tweak. Yeah. As much as there's a lot of heart in Free Guy, it still has some issues in how it chooses to depict gamers and mm-hmm. geeks in general. Because obviously there is something important to be said about the toxicity present in parts of gamer culture when Millie talks about trolls, when we talk about, you know, some of the other stuff that's going on, especially in how Antoine himself is depicted. But the depiction of the stereotypical gamer being, um, AKA someone that doesn't have sex, like Millie brings up a couple of times when she's trying to be disparaging or as someone that lives with their mom, Hey, a lot of people are living with their parents right now and they're not geeks because that's the kind of crappy world we're in right now. My sister, so, who is nearly 40, has just moved back in with my mother. Mm. So, yeah, I feel like for a lot of the things that it does right in terms of using terms like white privilege and toxic mas- masculinity straight-faced and being like, yes, this is a problem – it still wants to be able to make the Big Bang Theory jokes about geeks. There is definitely a an argument that like the infantilization of the stereotypical gamer is also something that gives like people more of a pass to be shitty in more quote unquote mature ways, so long as they're not, you know, living in their mom's basement and you know like if if you're not looking like this, then you know, you're you're a better person, even if you're being a toxic douchebag, you know, because let's face it, the the people that like are generally polluting the space don't look like one type of gamer. And 
you know, limiting that, you know, I think at least subconsciously gives people more of like a, oh, well, if I'm not like that kind of, you know, kind of loser, then it doesn't matter if I'm being a dickhead so long as I'm just like not not looking that way. I, I would say that I felt like they went fairly they, they tread fairly lightly in that area and they were, you know, the, the guy was um, like, yes, it, it did evoke some of those stereotypes, but like it does seem like he he is presented at least partially in a positive light at times and he's not presented as a complete asshole the whole time. So I felt like they did get at least some nuance in there. As relates to him, I think they did better than a lot of media has done, Mm -hmm. I would say. Ultimately, for me, what it came down to is that there are a lot of uh, negative stereotypes in this area and others that need to be worked through and broken down. And you can't do that if you don't talk about them at all. Mm. Remember how we uh, did uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet and we were like, where are the Nazis? Well, you know, in this case, (laughs) where are the griefers? Where are people who just make the game worse for other people, like I described in GTA Online? uh, Isn't it all of them? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Because ultimately it seemed to present us with an ecosystem of gamers who all do the same thing and all play the same way. It's chaotic, it's bouncy, it's teabaggy, it's kind of shoot you in the backy, but it's all good clean fun so uh, for it to then pull out and go yep this guy's living with his mom uh, again it's it's it, it's it sort of leans on the stereotype but it doesn't lean so hard that it goes yeah there's a problem in gaming like uh, that th- i don't think misogyny came it's, up once yeah it's yeah, not I, the I, it's not the address of the people causing the problems that's the problem yeah, yeah. I, I think i think the closest you get to that is the the kid, like the ten-year-old girl who's robbing the bank that guy steals his the glasses from, mm-hmm. and who just who just like seems to be there. Like, a is that joke of being way too young for this? What is pro, pro, must be an M-rated game, mm-hmm. and to, and it just seems cool. yeah, she's just like just this foul mouth. These two foul-mouthed little children mm. playing a game funniest way things, too young. Funniest things cursing in a movie, little girls and, and old, old people. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, so um, another thing that's potentially got its ups and downs, it is yet another conventionally handsome, famous white dude in the lead. And I was like, well, it could have been um, this person or this person. But now, what ways does the film suffer and what ways does it benefit from the setup of having Ryan Reynolds at its core? I was thrown a bit by the fact that Ryan Reynolds is like in his 40s and Jodie Comer is younger than I am. Yikes. Uh, that's what we call the Hollywood age difference. You just close your yeah. eyes and it doesn't exist. <laughs> so that was like, ooh, that that definitely felt a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, um, it, what we should be asking is how close in age is Jodie Comer to Blake Lively? That's true. She is younger than him <laughs> and she starred opposite him in Green Lantern. Then they became husband and wife. It also helps that Guy is technically a lot younger than her and she kind of is his mum. <laughs> yeah, that helps. That helps. That, Alex, that's you. better. <laughs> Question mark. That's so much better. But honestly, Guy's reaction at the end of the movie, rather than being, "Oh, I'm so jealous of humans. I want to be real live boy." Um, he is incredibly mature about how he um tells her effectively, kind of a goodbye for now. Mm. It's that that was admirable. 
Um, well, it, 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 I was about to say, it's because at that point, well, so the code is designed to help not just him, but everyone in the game evolve. So since he has won the game, so to speak, he's actually evolved beyond his original programming to realize, hey, I was designed to quote-unquote love you, but I don't actually want to do that anymore, even though I still feel love for you. Mm. I want the freedom that you've given me. But in the meantime, hey, that whole thing about I'm a love letter to you, that actually orients... Millie towards Joe Keery's character, Keys, which I think is closer in age. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. Uh, yeah, that's got to be that, closer than Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, that whole thing about the the attraction to Millie being the uh, kind of the the key, if you like, excuse the pun. <laughs> that, that wakes him up in the first place, but doesn't necessarily have to be part of how he evolves as a person. So that bit really, really reminded me of something that I am hoping somebody will be able to tell me what it is, because I can't remember what it Her. was. No, no, no. It's, it's yes. Okay, yes, it does. But the, the specific thing that I was thinking of was not her. You, what, so what you're really saying is, what have I got written on this piece of paper exactly. that even I can't see? I'm about <laughs> to explain it. Give me a second. So it's a thing, a story where everybody is without emotion, and you and and they. How many emotions is people? <laughs> <laughs> they they break through this shell by some kind of emotion being evoked in them, and it's different for everybody. the lobster. She's about to hit me! (laughs) (laughs) It's not the lobster. No? That's a film where no one has emotions. Okay, Equilibrium? I don't think so. Oh, for goodness sake. It's got to be like an episode of Star Trek or Red Dwarf or something. Okay. Um, Like, about four minutes ago, Pluto Burns had a point to make. Pluto, do you still remember it? Yes, um, I mean, to bring it back to specifically, does having Ryan Reynolds' uh, bland white guy as your lead uh, help the movie? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things that having bland white guy in your movie kind of cuts you out of. But in this specific case, it pretty clearly was a Ryan Reynolds project. Like, he's pretty heavily featured in the credits as, like, involved in the writing and the producing Mm. of this sucker. So if it took Ryan Reynolds to make this movie, which we have pointed out is not based on anything specifically, it's a hell of an elevator pitch. Mm. So I'm not surprised it got made even without an IP tied to it. But if it took Ryan Reynolds to get this movie made, I'll take that for now. Mm. Yeah. And honestly, I, and I said this right after the movie ended, uh, Debbie, and I, I stand by it. Nobody in Hollywood right now does naive sincerity as well as Reynolds. Mm. Which is nobody. Chris Pratt's a close second. Andy Samberg. Mm. No. Close. (laughs) I've got another close one, but no. (laughs) Okay. Which and that is very much a thing. I am not gonna go off on a tangent on this because I don't want to bore everybody, but I have been reading lately about metamodernism. I think is the term Ooh. and it's it's basically the bastard offspring of modernism and postmodernism but it's kind of where we are now it's this mm. balance between uh knowing sly winking 
we know what's really going on and but we still want to be sincere and authentic and how do you how do you resolve the tension between those two concepts mm. it it's literally post Lego Movie 2, where Lego Movie 2 was postmodernism taken as far as you could possibly take it. We had to come up with something new. The other benefit to having specifically Ryan Reynolds in that it's, you know, it's a it's a bland white guy. The movie takes his specific persona as a way to treat like y- you don't subtract his humanity, but it lets him be like a total like disposable Looney Tune during the live, die, repeat situations. Like he's he's allowed to to have a lot of pratfalls that result from his death. And the way that Ryan Reynolds specifically performs those is it, it's a talent of his. He's he's able to make things seem like a setback, but still funny when it's like we're literally watching a character die over and over again. Mm. Like that's yeah. not something everyone can do, but yeah, it's the yeah, kind of thing Brendan Fraser would have done. <laughs> it's the kind of thing Brendan Fraser would have done in the 90s. Yeah, mm. or Bill Murray. Yeah. It's it's also or Bill Murray, yeah. It's also a part of the subtext that when he decides to uh, distort is not the quite quite the word I'm looking for, but when he subverts the purpose of the game to do things like uh, protect people and take guns off bad guys and uh, rescue kittens from trees and, and do all sorts of, of little things that people in real life do all the time and it doesn't get a, a glance or a, a, an observation at all. People take guns off bad guys in real life and they don't get a glance. Okay, all right. The, the, <laughs> the specifics of it, maybe. Doing it with John Wick levels of Taekwondo. The, the whole wanting to live by not being shitty to people. Okay. That is something that people do all the time. But when a attractive white guy who is in a position of apparent success mm. does it... It's news. Everybody's fascinated by it. Why is he doing this? I think I've worked out the uh, song we're ending on. (laughs) By the way, uh, Ryan, if you're listening, and I know you are, um, these are the guys saying you're bland. I said conventionally handsome, famous white dude in the league. I never said bland. Bland has been added so many times, I'm not sure where it came from. He is the least bland white guy. The, the The movie is very interested in reminding us that Ryan Reynolds is handsome. I think it gets said like three or four times. <laughs> Sorry, second Everyone least, wants Andy to fuck the video game character. <laughs> yeah. Let's be fair. We don't need that reminder. We've seen Ryan Reynolds. We've got eyes. <laughs> okay, uh, can we talk about the not at all bland Taika Waititi uh, in his role as uh, Antoine? <laughs> okay, um... I've uh, I've kind of voiced the whole idea of that this is that, that this suggests without really leading us anywhere beyond like maybe we just sort of like hang out a bit more and destroy each other a bit less for fun but it does have something to say about how video games are made and marketed so uh revolving around Antoine I think that with Antoine what we're seeing is um, a refutation of the AAA game industry in general. Um, the thing is that he is not a direct analog to sort of any of the big names in there because they are all legitimately bland white guys. Uh, Android Wilson, Eves, Guillermo, these horrendous. Android Wilson, J. Allen Brack is maybe the closest because he had long hair and that's about it. But he is the perception of what these people are like, which is slightly out of it, a little bit quirky because we assume that video game creators have to be quirky as opposed to just boring business guys. Mm. 
And oh, he was kind of like Fisher Stevens in Hackers, which yeah. the outside mm. stuff reminded me of. Actually, now that I think about it, exactly. Yeah, no, that's a good. That's a good one. A uh, wanker, but, no, but someone who's come a long, long like he's he's Sorrento in Ready Player One, but with the attitude of Fisher Stevens. Yeah, and that's the thing, though, is that this obsession with telling people what they are going to find entertaining mm. is really what is at the core of his character. He has decided that this makes money because this makes money. Not that he wants to put out a quality game and not that he really cares what the fans are going to want because he recognizes that no matter what they put out, it's going to be bought. He, I mean, it's so timely because this past couple of years has been just this, like, open, like, pulling back the rock to look at the fucking disgusting shit that goes on in the gaming industry. And some really horrible stories have been laid out. And and they're kind of reaping the whirlwind. And there's a whole contingent of gamers who are like, shut up. I like games. I don't want to think about how they're made. And to that, like, to that end, I feel like there's a certain level of people in this who are not being represented, a certain uncomfortable level. But I suppose you could point to the the powerful people that get treated like they're somehow allies to gamers and defended. Taika Waititi's character radiates contempt for both creators who are working under him and just like workers who are just effectively just tapping away at keyboards like they're in The Matrix all day, or, or Thomas Anderson's job. But also for the people who play the games. It's not like the customers, uh, you know, the ones that were, were uh, most interested in keeping happy he fucking hate uh, he, he is disgusted by everyone and doesn't care he's a caricature but the real life guys are so contemptible and so contemptuous he's not really a caricature they're that fucking weird creepy and rotten too there, there are moments yeah he's just more interesting than they are yeah, yeah. i was just gonna say there he is he is more multi-layered than they are because there are moments when you get to see the crack in the facade when he's talking to keys he is actually for a moment a person it's potentially yeah, he's and we know that bobby kotick is not really a person yeah, and, and, no, and, He's more of a, a fleshy um, golem that uh, you know is the holiday home for a murderous ghost. He's an AI they he, created to absorb all the flack fifteen years ago, and then he, they couldn't turn him off. It's more of a kind of he's a, a money. in a Cronenberg film. He's more of a sort of a cash vacuum that sucks it in and sits on it rather than reinvesting it into society, like most of the one percent. Um, so he's worst Kirby. Yes, 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 he's a giant anus that just sucks in everyone else's happiness. Anyway, oh what? God. <laughs> Fuck you, Kotick. You say that that like he's a like you start you you mentioned him being a caricature and then you you know walked that back in what you were saying, but I I had kind of the same thought sort of in that I was like on one hand like he doesn't seem over the top enough mm. and that it was I kind of part of me wished he'd been over the top more. But another part of me was like, you know what? This is better. Like, this is actually, this isn't a caricature. This is realistic. Yeah, I mean, There's uh, a what very... I was getting to was that, that because Taika Waititi's playing him and it's written by decent people, somebody who's thinking was involved, whereas these 
fucking corporate monsters, nobody decent is involved in their creation. They're just a wig with a Cayman Islands account. And in place of a soul, they have like a painting in their attic of a shit weasel. There's also something to be said for how it's it's very much exaggerating certain things that are genuine problems in the AAA industry. He's about to shut down Free City 1 mm. totally and just completely wipe out an entire established player base to launch the sequel, which, okay, like, no one would actually do that because, you know, GTA Online has been making money for a decade and they they love things that keep making money. Yeah. However, Similarly, it's, World it's of a- Warcraft, they they just kept it going and going and going and eventually kind of brought back the vanilla version just so that people could go and dabble in in nostalgia but they didn't kill the initial original games as they upgraded they just kept you going it doesn't make any business sense to do what uh ytt's character is attempting uh, continued but it, it doesn't but then it doesn't make any financial sense for nintendo to release super mario 3d all-stars in a limited run of cartridges but also limited digital release There's people now who would gladly give them money for that game package, and now they can't. Yeah, yeah, it it doesn't. However, what that does do is it shines a light on the AAA industry's very real, and in which case the movie is using very real teeth on the industry's complete lack of interest in any sort of, like, cataloging or preservation of the the history of video games yeah and so it's you know we're, we don't as long it as it's sell. making money we'll keep it going when it stops making us and and not just stops making us any money but stops making us money over this bar that we've imagined for ourselves all of the we've money been, mm. there exactly. was something else i think that the transfer from free city one to free city two is meant to talk about Alex mentioned a moment ago that he doesn't like creatives. I think he really doesn't like creatives because... That's Antoine, not me. I love creatives. Free City 1 is, by and large, based on stuff he didn't build. And now Free City 2 is supposed to be his artistic vision. Also, it's going to make all of the money. But as we see from his involvement with Dude, he has no creativity. There's so much of dude that is not filled in, and that's part of the joke. And in the meat, but he's like, Oh, everyone likes this thing, so I'll create my own version of this thing with blackjack and hookers, except he has <laughs> no idea what is actually appealing about Guy. He's not he a just like, person. Yeah. He assumes the blackjack, blackjack is just a box with the word like... blackjack written on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, he, he thinks that people like blackjack because they like the colors red and black. Mm. So yeah, I hadn't it's... even thought about that, but the idea that Dude is a game being launched that's complete that's incomplete and it's like oh well patch dude on day one fuck it and oh no it still doesn't work everyone's queuing up to meet dude they have to literally stand in line yeah and then they walk through him and see his skull (laughs) (laughs) oh no dude's teeth are on me this is a Cronenberg movie game you were playing and i was just like oh god burn it with fire it's oh horrible. it was uh it was an early metro game i think yes. the first metro like i was in a lift and i turned and around suddenly you were surrounded by eyeballs yeah the, the guy standing beside <laughs> me the npc my face ended up inside his head and i could see his eyes and his teeth 
I was like, oh. I looked down through the back of his esophagus to see the horseshoe of molars smiling up at me. It was like sitting on the tongue of a yawning titan prior to being chomped and digested. It, uh, it, it was horrendous. The, the, the whole thing with dude is also very clearly like supposed to like poking fun of like game companies like trying to chase trends mm-hmm. it's it, it like it like immediately reminded me like i think ea is putting out the new trailers for their next battlefield game mm-hmm. and all the trailers have them like doing things that people have done in battlefield in the past but as like pre-rendered cgi like there's like a famous thing of like a dude like jettisoning out of his jet mid-flight taking out another jet with a rocket launcher and then getting back in the jet and they freaking took that and put it in the trailer as like a pre-generated CGI. And it's like, it, it's so blatantly like, hey, yeah, you remember all those crazy things? Well, we got those crazy things. That's an extension of the IP seizure. Mm-hmm. You do something in this emergent game, we're going to steal it and we're going to write it. And that's going to be ours now. Fucking yikes. I, I well, was, so that um, doesn't sound like Battlefield. That sounds like Fortnite. Mm. Well, Battlefield gets pretty crazy. Right, okay. <laughs> I I was trying to think about the way um, Taika Waititi uh, plays Antoine from a, a not-gamer perspective when I watched the movie a second time, because, mm-hmm. like, obviously we're all big fans of James Stephanie Sterling here. We're, we're a little plugged in to varying degrees. Yeah. But um, for anyone who would not really be familiar with gamer culture, I think the movie does have some, like, subtle digs at, like, specific gamer culture problems. But it's pretty straightforward to just as an outsider to see Antoine as, like, the fail son rich boy who's got himself a creative project just because and not really connect that with anything game related like he's just like a generally bad capitalist villain and i'm trying i'm not sure if that's like uh sort of like a missed opportunity in the writing or if it's more of a commentary on just how like uncreatively awful at capitalism video games are uh, I it, it felt a little like like a reference to how like a lot of CEOs of companies are just plug in and play like they're just they just know how to be businessmen they don't know anything about whatever industry they're in mm-hmm. and like I feel like you could see that in Antoine because at, at the like in during the climax at no point does Antoine or anyone else think to take Keys's computer away from him <laughs> yeah also I was wondering about Antoine just wandering around randomly smashing servers one assumes the servers for Free City 2 are down there as well. Well, here's the thing. Uh, to smash his own servers up, the first thing he needed to do was buy a ticket to Iceland. <laughs> also, why right. do you have to smash them? Just turn them off. It's, it's more dramatic right. when there's okay. axe swinging. Mm. Also, also, I suspect it might be a, a commentary on his character where it's like, it's something I don't understand, I'll just smash it. He, he doesn't it. even... He doesn't even know enough about technology to know how there's a better way to do this. Also, I won't damage these very expensive things that I bought. Yeah. There is also an element of I'd rather torch this thing than have somebody take it away yeah. from me. Yeah, that definitely mm-hmm. registered. There's the, it's the idea that, you know, oh, oh, you want this thing back? Well, I'm going to ruin it so you can't have it. Mm. It does raise the question of clearly he knows nothing about coding. So who was it that took million keys is code and 
built Free City from it. It wasn't fucking Antoine. Maybe he had them killed. Maybe it was like Viola Davies in uh, Suicide Squad. She's like, okay, and we're going gold today, and then shoots the entire dev team. Um, they, it also it kind of had a 90s movie ending, or a 2000s movie, not uh, a 2010s. Because if you remember, that the whole thing's about that she, Millie's trying to find and prove that her code is in the game, and it was taken without her consent. But he's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And if this went to court, he'd go, fuck it, she signed a thing. Like, we're still in the era of, yeah, and so what, being a defence and nothing actually happening. But that's the thing. There, there, are, um, there are shades on this. It's not the fact that he has their code and he stole it, because I think they discussed the fact they actually sold it to him. Yeah, it's the go. fact that he bought it and then refused to use it so they never knew whether or not it worked. She's trying to find it because she's right. trying to prove that it does work. And the victory does not come from showing everybody that he stole it. The victory yeah. comes from getting a small corner of the world where they can actually she have what works. they wanted. Right. Okay. Also, he's not defeated by, you know, the news media cottons on to bad thing he did, which, yeah, yeah post-Trump, that, that movie cannot be made anymore. That rings hollow, yeah. It's very specifically that Millie catches him at, like, his lowest moment. He's just wrecked his entire, like, company and mm. upcoming game launch. And she's like, look, all that stuff you care about, the sequels and the money yours just give me back my code the lawsuit goes away and like at that moment that does sound like the easy good option to him mm. yeah he's he's ultimately defeated not because he gets outed but because free city 2 is actually just a piece of shit yeah <laughs> and he invested everything in that and said they'll play what i want them to play and as it turns out nobody was playing anthem that day absolutely and again <laughs> millie wins because she refuses to play his game, she makes him play hers. Ultimately, it's she redefines the uh, the win state for success mm, because for it. him, he has to have everything. And for her, she's like, I just need this one thing and you wouldn't give it to me, so no, I've taken it mm. and I'm fine. I think it's actually very important that we can learn as we grow what a win state really equates to. It is important that our win states are not always external and that we define our own internal win states. Mm, absolutely. I, in fact, there's there's a way that I could um, reiterate all of that with therapeutic type language, but that is exactly what a lot of therapy consists of, especially in the early days of it is getting people to realize that they can define their own terms for success. They do not have to internalize this, here is how you win, that they have been fed since they were children. Well, it's it's very much an extension of like Millie's character choosing actualization versus winning a confrontation. Mm. You know, I resonate with this really, really deeply because it, you know, I spent a decade in the corporate finance world and looking back on it like it's only been in the last five years maybe that I fully understood my own motivations and what I wanted and the fact that I had tried for so long to fit myself into into the mold of you know climb the corporate ladder be the cog in the machine be the good little soldier yada 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 all that all that corporate bullshit and to realize just how liberating it was to realize that no, I don't actually give a shit about that. And like how 
how much better I've been as a person. And that and that this game, like like I said before, like it definitely tags onto that. The fact that, you know what? Like, make your own definition of success and you can be successful even to a certain degree monetarily. Like you don't have to go with what people tell you you're supposed to go with and you can still be a success in the society potentially yeah well the, the, even the financial uh, win state you can define yourself it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be we have to have all the money and everybody who doesn't have all the money and by the way they don't have it because we're squatting on it all um, they're losers because we have all the money and they don't well they yeah. don't need all the money how are they losers when they are doing okay. That they're only losers if they defy if if they in their own mind they're losers. Uh-huh. This was Christoph Beck, the composer, revisiting his amazing music for the Disney short Paper Man. Some people had a problem with this. I was just really happy to hear it playing for an audience who were moved. Let's talk about Buddy. Buddy is my favorite character because he's represents basically the anti-nihilist core of, of this entire movie. Because yeah. like there's like there's two big bo- moments with Buddy. It's when Guy is like freaking out. It's like none of this is real, and he goes to, explains it all to Buddy, and Buddy's like, "So what? Yeah, maybe it's not real, but you know what's great? You know what's real? My best friend, and I want to spend all my uh, my days are great because I get to spend them with my best friend, and you know that he basically saves the day by snapping guy out of out of his funk, and then at the end when when he he gets basically swallowed up by the collapsing of the game, and and guy has to leave him behind, and guys guys like I'm sorry, and buddy's just like I'm not. He dies happily because he got to be with his best friend, and it basically made me cry. Oh. Yeah. Pretty it's, much. It's a, any- it's, a, it's a fantastic performance. It's got like big Chris Tucker energy, but he can bring it back to like actually emotional moments without losing that like performance. Also, yeah, it, could just, been, it could have been so over the top. It could have been so silly, and it's not. There's this genuine sincerity to even his, you know, kind of lack of understanding of everything that's going on. Because somebody mentioned that he brings up the existentialist position at one point. I think yes, he is very much an existentialist man. Mm. And it's it's a positive example of a male friendship, platonic friendship. But just they take joy in each other's presence. They have fun together. Like it's it's great. In another He's, circumstance, it might be considered a love story. Mm. In point of fact, I feel like that 
moment at the end where um where dude is carrying guy around that's it someone could say oh that's just a fireman's carry no that felt like a bridal carry right there and he's like no no this doesn't feel right because he wants to be with buddy his friend and as earnest as dude is dude isn't a substitute for buddy Mm. yeah i would say it's a love story in the same way that grumpy old man is a love story Mm. The other thing that Buddy brings is that through through his statement about this moment is real, me sitting with my best friend is real, he's speaking to the value of art because all art is false, all art is created, but the point of all art is to create emotional connections that are real in spite of them being brought about through artifice. And I'm, I'm always a mark for that. Mm. Lil Ray Howery, who uh, plays a Buddy, is uh, was in like we first saw him in Get Out, where he played Rod. He was the secret weapon in that film as well, just in terms of like at the point oh, where you're shit, like, oh, that was him. This whole thing, like it seems to be going downhill, and then he turns up, and it just seems to lighten. You know, it just it, mm. it gets yeah. the momentum back up again. Chris Tucker, kind of the way he plays everything is a shade annoying. Mm. Buddy's excitement about things is never annoying. What the talking about the centaur stuff or marveling over dude's pecs, it's just all kind of adorable. Mm. Yeah. I would I would say if I was gonna compare his energy to anybody, it would be Kevin Hart more than Chris Tucker. Mm. He's Samwise. Mm. Yeah. 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 There we yeah. go. There yeah. it is. And Samwise remains like in the top tier favorite best possible characters in Lord of the Rings, who is the beating heart of that, who again, when things are really, really down, he elevates it, lifts it. Mm. You need a Samwise. Yeah. He can't carry the movie, but he can carry the main character. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Free City 2 was backwards compatible. It was in the commercial. You said there'd be the same characters in the sequel. Well, here's the thing. When I said that, I was lying. Listen, Antoine, the game is already buggier than ever. I got a stack of user complaints like a mile high. Look, I know it sucks, but the IP recognition is rock hard, okay? So don't even worry about it. I'm just saying we could make an original game. What? Make an original? (laughs) Why would I do that when I can make a sequel? Sequel. So we could make it better? IPs and sequels. That is the thing that people want. Let me ask you a question. Okay. You love Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? Mm-hmm. No. If you love Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I made Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I know that you love Kentucky Fried Chicken, why would I make another restaurant called, uh, I don't know, Albuquerque Boiled Turkey? Okay? Mm-hmm. Makes mm-hmm. no sense, homie. No sense. What am I going to give you? A sequel. Kentucky Fried Chicken Chicken Part 2. Uh, yum. Drop the deuce on them. All I'm going to add is... Um, Joe Carey, yay. <laughs> yeah, oh, Joe Carey was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I, I really I like him. I am glad to see him in other stuff. <laughs> I love the fact that um, Joe and Mill, like the whole, the relationship between, oh shoot, Keys and Keys. Millie in the movie is clearly, like they make it clear to you that yes, Keys was in love with her, is in love with her, but... This is never made a big deal of. This is just a thing that was there, and he had he had put out he like he put his heart out and he put his feelings out there, but he had clearly decided he was still going to be friends with her regardless of how she reacted. And the fact that she event it's it's a she eventually realizes, yeah, I do like him, and it like that 
that is a thing we don't get enough in media, I think. People who are friends finding attraction for each other, and because they didn't see it because they were focused on other things. They didn't see it. Like, life got in the way of them seeing it. But that yeah. it, like, it's... But there was feelings there. They were growing. They just hadn't really acknowledged them. I like the way that Joe Keery played it during that interview from five years previous, mm, where yeah. the interviewer really inappropriately asks the two of them if they're in a relationship. And... He, you could see it. It's a pretty subtle performance where he wants to say yes or he wants there to be something there, but she jumps on him. He just agrees. Yeah, yeah. I like the way he's his uh, attraction to her and his ultimately his devotion to her, for want of a better word, is is framed in such a way that if it is if it turns out not to be requited or if he never plucks up the courage to actually put it out there. Um, he's going to be fine. He he can carry on with his life and and do other things. And it's not this. Uh, it's not this. I'm putting all my eggs in this basket, and if she drops it, I'm going to go off on one. His love feels very end of when Harry met Sally. He loves her for everything that she already is, rather than what she, what he imagines she is. And but it as was said a moment ago. It's on top of that, he will continue loving everything that she is, even if she doesn't reciprocate. And it's, but yet it's still gratifying that she eventually does. They Because they don't make the relationship feel like something that either of them feels entitled to, like it's so easy to fall into the trap of like, oh, he's the nice guy. And, <laughs> and like, there's so many minefields along that yeah. road. And guy is arguably a nicer guy than he is. Yeah, exactly. But but again, you know, he's still they still always move towards the self-actualization rather than defining yourself by your relationships. You you navigate relationships in ways that strengthen you as a person. And that that's always the focus on it. And the fact that the movie chooses like the 90s version of this movie ends with the kiss. Mm. But this movie ending with Guy and Buddy is just mm. really hammering in that final nail. Like it's it's about finding what makes you gratified as a person, not just about the boy gets the girl happy ending the end. There is an analog to this in Ready Player One, and I hadn't thought of it until we started talking about um, the process of, of um, mm-hmm. Key's creating Guy. Uh, some of you might have guessed it already. Kira in uh, the Shining section. So Halliday in his youth took a girl named Kira out on a date. She wanted to go dancing, but instead he took her to see The Shining. And apparently she had a bad time and didn't want to go on a second date with him. It happens. Halliday's best friend, Ogden Morrow, later dated and married this girl, and they were extremely in love and were a wonderful couple until years later she tragically died in a car accident. Halliday remained obsessed over this woman that he had one bad date with until his dying day. He programs her likeness without her blessing or the blessing of her surviving relatives into his game as part of the quest for his magical Easter egg. Just this speaking, moving, ghoulish 3D puppet of this poor dead woman who probably doesn't remember or know Halliday that well and had no part in this, just part of his puzzle quest and she must be danced with or kissed to get the magic key. Maybe some of you guys have had some bad first dates, but like, I, I promise you that Kira has got you beat there. 
She's Guy. She's the, she's the version that he's made of this girl. And they go, cheers for that, off you go. And either she continues dancing with zombies forever, or she is destroyed. Oh, you don't like The Shining? You want to go dancing? Well, now you're dancing in The Shining. I think they call that irony, Kira. You'll dance, Kira. They all dance for me. But not Free Guy. This movie concerns itself with the motivations behind creating that yearning character and what that yearning character evolves and does. Mm. That is one of the many reasons why this eats the lunch of Steven Spielberg's <laughs> Ready Player One, which itself is a million miles better than the book. I would say, oh, yeah. I, I agree with you completely about the comparison between Guy and Kira. I would say there are two fundamental differences between these, these two uh, AIs who are created as facsimiles of real people. Mm -hmm. And that is one, Keyes creates Guy based on himself. He does not co-opt somebody else's framework for it. But he, uh, uh, Guy does like um, the sweet fantasy song, which yeah. is Millie, and the bubblegum ice cream, and just a couple of other, but other little sprinklings. those are supposed to be things to link him to Millie, not... Yeah. The, yeah. They're, they're meant to also, everybody him. loves Mariah Carey's fantasy. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. And bubblegum ice cream's really nice. Get out um, of town. I love bubblegum <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the fact that he, he bases him on himself rather than taking someone else's um, thoughts, and the fact that... Guy is designed to have a key brought to him, not to have a key taken away from him. Bingo. The other thing that like is an easy comparison to Ready Player One that I think this uses very smartly is the very deliberate use of recognizable IP because it drops you know, the the easy um, like example spoilers is the Captain America shield with the Avengers <laughs> musical yeah. cue. Oh yeah, when and, and then the lightsaber broke in. Oh. And, what and the that shit? Is the, that is the <laughs> fortnightest shit I have ever seen. Like that's that's the moment where it's like, okay, yes, this is the best Fortnite movie we're ever going to get because that's literally all they do is just brands and cross promotion with more brands. And how do we put brands in our brands? Because the only thing better than brands in your brands is brands making commercials for the brands in your brands. Oops, all brands. <laughs> <laughs> And then it uses it for like, you know, three great gags of like the boom, it's a shield. I get that. Oh, I get that. It's Chris Evans. And then it's I understood that useless. reference. <laughs> exactly. And, but but instead of like Ready Player One, where it's like, we just need all the people who look like the brands to work together, because if all the IPs are together, that's the best IP. In terms of marketing, that makes Ready Player One's design ethic identical to food fight. It's a battle between the world's most beloved brands and the forces of darkness. Whereas this is like, no, that didn't fucking work. Just like, <laughs> just show him your point of view. Just connect with a person. I loved that. I yeah, I very, I was like, oh, please don't like run over him in the warthog. Like I've seen the, <laughs> the scorpion tank. It's neat, cool. But like, it was so much less obnoxious than Ready Player One with its constant name dropping. Ready Player One was like a loud dude at a party shouting, look at all the things I know. Oh, I didn't tell you until now, but the first clue is that the challenge is something about learning. I already solved the rest of the puzzle before you got here, but not the part about learning. Oh, hey, my Latin teacher just said to learn in Latin. That 
made me think about school. Hey, I'm at school. Oh my god, what if the challenge is on a school planet? But what are the odds it would be on mine out of all the school planets? Oh, it is on mine. But how would I ever find it? It could be anywhere in the forest. Oh wait, I know how to make a program that can find it for me, and I already did that. It looks like a Dungeons and Dragons thing inside. It could be pretty dangerous. Fortunately, I memorized this whole thing, so I know exactly where to step. Oh no, in the final boss, I have to play him at Joust. The arcade game. Fortunately, before the book started, I spent like a whole summer playing Joust with my best friend and I'm really good at it, so I'm gonna win on my first try. Like, is this satisfying? I don't understand. It's like watching a speed run of a book. Behold. My stuff. Uh, okay, wait, so just no one mentioned the YouTubers and people are gonna say, why didn't you talk about the YouTubers? <laughs> yes, I that was the one thing were. I missed. So um, I didn't, I, I didn't know who they were because like I was yeah. like Willow kept nudging me and going that's so and so that's blah 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 that's and I was just like yeah, just as a- long as PewDiePie and Logan Paul don't turn up I'm fine with I, this. I do think well, Willow was holding out for Markiplier, but yeah. uh, that- I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, Markiplier <laughs> needs to be in here. Glad to see Jack Skeptici, but. Markiplier. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, I, was this was it good? Like I, I have no gauge on this. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it, ladies and gentlemen, and otherwise. I mean, there was no PewDiePie, but Ninja was there, and yeah. Ninja's done some problematic stuff. So. Uh, yeah, that was that was my only reference. I was like, oh, isn't that Ninja? Isn't he a jerk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's like that's a that is now a movie thing where you're like, oh, you know what? I would really love LA Confidential. Kevin Spacey. Mm. Yeah. You, you, you know, you know, who was the best cameo in this? Alex Trebek. Yes. Oh, oh God. Yes. This is the last thing I we're going to see Alex in. Oh yep. yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, now all sad. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I, I do I do have one thing if we're wrapping up that yeah, I, I promised it. myself I would talk about. Okay. Um, so the minor characters in the background, I wish we had more time to talk about Buddy, but I have to talk about Millie the Coffee Girl mm-hmm. and Bombshell the Girl in Pink. Who yes. are yeah, they're two minor NPC characters, uh, just like Guy. He interacts with them. There's a pretty funny there's a couple of funny gags with coffee across the movie. Mm. But specifically, he asks for something other than the usual coffee. And that, like, first off, scares the coffee girl. But then she's like, wait, I could make a different kind. Ca- I could make a cappuccino. That's very and Pleasantville. It, like, it's been and, so and long, everyone's similar... dropped out of living memory. Pleasantville! That's Whoa. the thing! That's the thing I was thinking of! God. That's the thing! Thank okay. You. And on that bombshell, I'm so sorry. Pluto, continue. Uh and We're uh, the, up bombshell, all kinds of the bombshell character is the character who's just there to tell the players they're hot for rescuing mm. her and they're like strong, manly player arms or whatever. And he's like, you don't have to be with these guys. And she's like, I don't have to be with, with a guy at guy. all. And yeah. she goes off and writes like a feminist treatise. Mm. <laughs> I, I loved how uh, everyone was kind of sort of pitching in. It wasn't about the one. And again, like the Lego movie, it was about everyone working together. Again, all this socialism bells ringing in a good way. But I specifically absolutely wanted, and I'm so mad the movie didn't do this, I wanted Millie and Bombshell to kiss because yeah. that was really the vibe I was getting from Bombshell yeah. when she said, I don't need guys. I'm like, oh, okay, you're into the ladies now. And then Millie is like pretty near her for a lot of the subsequent crowd scenes. Yeah. And they hug. And I'm like, did did they cut something? I, I don't know. It's not in the movie. I want it to be in the movie. Nah. You're talking about background characters. And absolutely, I love the way that um, Guy 
manages to influence all these other AI characters just by interacting with them. But the one person I wanted to see more of because they were so expressive in their physical acting was the ice cream guy. They just yeah. a couple of shots of him. But there is just something about the way he's done up and his facial reactions. The actor Rick Palmenko has apparently not been in much, but just from that little bit I saw of him, I'm thinking to myself, that guy needs more work. He's so invested in that relationship that he's watching. It's adorable. Mm. I oh, I forgot one quite important thing about why it's important to have this not bland, but definitely conventionally handsome, famous white dude in the lead. Um, he's you know trying to romance a girl, and he does so by listening to her and being enthusiastic, paying attention, and talking, and just basically being an all-round decent guy. And I think it's kind of important that we have some role models that are like that. Like it's it's not hard. The question was asked if they can kiss, Mm. which was so incredibly sweet. I want to kiss you so badly. You want to kiss mm. me badly? <laughs> <laughs> the the moment where it cut back to her looking at her computer and going, hey, was that was very choice. While watching that scene later, you'd be like, she's just like looking at the computer watching her character get kissed here. So it was nice that they gave us that level of the slight disconnect there to uh, give us the more meta feel of like, you know, okay, so how is she really invested here? And- also, the way that she said afterwards when he's like, there's no button for that. Oh, he found the button. <laughs> there's... The- she has, like, the two biggest laughs for me in this movie. Like, Jodie Comer, we talked about her. She's a great action star. Her comedic timing, because, like, mm. the he found the button thing, and then the gun violence question, which is the darkest <laughs> joke I've seen in a family-facing yes. comedy since Teen Titans go to the movie. And she's just like, so much. It's a huge problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, Every time there's a fucking horrendous gun crime and uh, a massacre, and it's like, now is not the time to talk about gun violence. There's this feeling of, if we talk about it, they'll lessen the fun stuff. The stuff where we're not hurting anybody, just at a shooting range, or polishing our guns, or, you know, just shooting the shit out of people in video games. We don't want to have less fun. But the world isn't divided into work fun, and sleep. There are other bits in between. And part of this issue stems from when we're collectively thinking in ways that may not make us comfortable about things that are ostensibly supposed to be fun. And the knee-jerk reaction is to go to sleep or fight tooth and nail. That's why we like to mix it up on this show. Which reminds me of extremely wise words from Mikey Newman. Fight less, talk more, say sorry sometimes. I love that. And is is this way of interacting with the world something that we constantly do because it is the most fun? Or is it just because that is the way we are most commonly presented with the options of interacting with the world? It's conditioning. Mm. It, if you're given the same thing every time and told this is fun, this is fun, this is fun, then sooner or later you start believing it. Oh. Yeah, like the if you're forced to empathize with, with the characters, like that... I'm a person who plays Mass Effect and like it's hard for me to do renegade decisions because then yeah. it makes my friends mad even yeah. though my friends are just like little cartoons in the video game. Yeah. And this this takes like a similar I think ethos of, you know, what if we just on the off chance that, you know, this practice could be beneficial later. 
what if we use this as a, as a scaffolding tool toward real emotional growth and real intellectual curiosity? Absolutely. Uh, Alex has got me playing Fire Emblem at the moment. And one of the things that I love about it the most, one of the things that I find the most charming, it's a fabulous game. I cannot put it down. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I have got so heavily invested so quickly into True story. This, which, which never happens for me when it comes to video games. It really doesn't. This and Hades. Yeah, this and Hades were the two things that just absolutely grabbed me. But the, the thing I like about it the most is the little behind-the-scenes conversations that you get to have after every battle and the fact that 75% of them are a character saying to another character are you okay have you eaten maybe you should have some tea put that box down I will go and fetch you some tea they're all sort of desperate to make sure that they're all okay and they're all doing self-care and it's brilliant oh, that's kind of great I love that I'm the person who when I play like Horizon Zero Dawn is my the game that I just fell hard for and I, like I felt so bad any time like I'm playing and I made Aloy like slip or fall off of something or whatever and I'm always apologizing and feeling bad and I'm like it, and you feel a little silly because it's you know it's pixels on a screen but at the same time it's like but but no that's that's a person Dude also gets to be a commentary on this thing because he is literally designed to be the best at doing violence. And what happens the second that he has the opportunity to do something else? He finds all of Phyllis's kittens. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, and one final thing, was there, were there any moments that broke immersion because you concluded there's no way that would be in a video game? There is one, and it's going to sound really weird. Be because it's all based on Fortnite, and monetization is up the wazoo with Fortnite. Yeah, it's true. There, was yeah. no, there were no loot boxes. There, were no, there was no store. Microtransactions. Microtransactions. Well, but on top of that... No gambling during, mechanics. During one of the early scenes where a uh, guy is running away from the two programmers' keys and the other guy whose name I'm forgetting in the bunny outfit, mm -hmm. he's running away, but like, oh, there's an exit that way towards the wrecking ball. And something I realized on a second watch through, he's getting a bunch of pickups as he's running towards the ball, and he <sighs> ends up using one of them to save himself. But the, the unbelievable thing was that all of these powerful pickups would just be laid out in the game. No, 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 no. They would charge you for that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's more of a kind of, remember in Grand Theft Auto on the PlayStation 2 when you could find maybe a secret cache of weapons. But even then yeah. it would usually just be a flamethrower. This this was a minor thing, and this is something I don't think is ever going to be fixed. But every time we cut away to like you know the player cam view, mm -hmm. which they have some pretty solid fourth wall breaks with a uh, uh, guy not being able to see that, but it's just a terrible in-game camera. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's <laughs> awful because, and this is just a, a fundamental difference in video game and movie cinematography. Video games need to show you what's in front of you for you to interact with and play it. Not just Whereas look movie, at you the whole time. Yeah, movies movies want to show you the actual like environment and the scene a bit more than just like your little like 
third person zoom in on the ground. Ooh, what's this uh, yeah. ammo pack view? And it, I don't think that, I don't think there's a fix for that. I think I'm just gonna have to get used to that. One way the the whole like where are all the loot boxes? That's what and the monetization. That is where Ready Player One was a bit more on the money in terms of like there is currency being exchanged for lots of things. But then it shot itself in the foot by going, oh hey, the you know you can make things and program things, and it's like, well, why don't you just copy this code and produce a million t-shirts that have infinite armor on them? I maybe could have done with like a little starting area where the new people are who are like, I, n- mm-hmm. I need to learn how to do this or either that or you've got somebody who's brand new to the game who just keeps throwing grenades at their own feet because they can't work out how to use them. Yeah, there were no bad players. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, there was one point where there was someone that was literally running oh, yeah. into the wall. He was jumping him. on the wall repeatedly. They didn't make I, much I, of a thing. Yeah, I, I remember that. I, I actually yeah. thought he was trying to clip through the wall. Mm. I thought he was like a speedrunner dude trying to find a hole. Somewhere in the game. Yeah. I mean, again, the um, uh, this is reminding me of uh, the South Park episode where they were doing Warcraft. I'm sure there's been a whole bunch since I stopped watching South Park. But um, uh, it's it's taking many, many elements that we've seen before. But there was something refreshing about this mix. I think specifically because of the the philosophies underneath it. And it's, it, it's so easy to miss everything else about this because it does just play out like the kind of movie that you watch and kind of turn off your brain i can't i'm always looking for stuff also oh, if one... i ever figure out how to switch my brain off i'm not going to do it to watch movies i'm going to do it to sleep thank you yes <laughs> yeah. there was an easter egg that was not in the game but in the real world mm-hmm. millie's apartment has an arcade fire poster Arcade Fire scored her, which came up earlier. So it's literally making a commentary. Oh, yes, this is a movie about AI. So here's a poster of of a band that scored another movie about AIs. That's a set dresser who knows their shit. Very Mm -hmm. so. (laughs) They're very canny both in the game and outside the game. There's like... There's just blinking, you'll miss it, production design details like the shop front that says, your loan is pre-approved. This business is a lie. (laughs) (laughs) I I saw a great one that said, uh, half off sale, always tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One uh, kind of opposite of the question, the one thing I was surprised by was the fact that uh, basically in this game, in the, the thing, uh, Keys and the bunny guy are mods, mm-hmm. like they're moderators, which I had never seen in like any of these video game movies before. And like yeah. they're, they're the whole thing where they they have all the best equipment and they can turn on God mode. Like I've never seen a video game like movie deal with the fact that there are people like that, especially in MMOs, which Free City basically is, that are yeah. just there to enforce the rules and they can just turn themselves into the most powerful thing in the game. Yeah, I have a question for Sharon. Did you notice that John Krasinski was in the film? I did not. I caught his name in the credits. Yes, apparently. But I didn't see him in the film. Apparently, in addition to everything else with Channing Tatum, the the movie itself has four cameos just as voice actors. Yeah, Hugh Jackman's, yep. Hugh Jackman played the masked player. Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson, Yeah. yeah. Tina Fey was, uh, mom, mom, I don't care. Uh, (laughs) And then there was at one point where they were uh, in the real world, they were doing interviews interspersed with all of the um, 
all the YouTube personalities, and John Krasinski voiced the silhouetted gamer. Ah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, ultimately we're probably... Uh, this is the same year that Monster Hunter came out. We're probably mm -hmm. going to get more uh, video game movies in the future where it's like, oh, they paid attention, they put this thing in there, but th they're going to be fairly shallow adaptations. And I th I'm going to look forward to anything like this that goes, oh, what if, and, and just kind of takes us down a new path and actually does something with it. That's That, that feels to me to be a, a worthy use of the concept of online spaces as a way of, of looking at ourselves because Assassin's Creed ain't gonna. Well, we've got yeah. generations now, a, a full generation at least, of people who've grown up with video games being one of the ways in which we express ourselves in the world. Yeah. It's silly not to use it as a thing to which we can explore ourselves through. Oh, it's kind of like the best version you could make of the Emoji movie as well. <laughs> <laughs> if for some reason you wanted to do that. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was just the Lego movie. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. yeah. I, I think I still I, I prefer the Lego movie by far. It's one of my favorite films of all time. But the fact that this evoked it without me feeling like, ah, you just nabbed that from the Lego movie was gratifying. It felt like it had its own thing to say. Also, if we're talking about using forms of media to explore ourselves, is it also not a take on the never-ending story? Hmm. Yeah. We can see it. Yeah, I can see that. Less terrifying. The never-ending story's implications of the book hungers. It must feed. It requires a new host. Then Cronenberg gets involved. Yeah. Well, that's true. What's that? It's nothing. Oh, let's take away Titi with an axe. The book simply becomes a giant pulsating gland. There's way too much Cronenberg in this episode. Yeah. Well, he started it, so... On that bombshell, folks. <laughs> School of Movies is funded by you folks on Patreon. Thank you so, so much, as always. And our $15 sponsors get credit every episode. So a special thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer. Daniel Salguero, Dan Hebner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finn Barnicol, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Lutsch, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Youngius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. That is going to be about it for Free Guy, but before we all go, would you folks like to tell the good people at home where they can find your best stuff and extra points if anyone wants to talk about Fireside Alliance? Uh, we shall start with Brendan. Um, I, I haven't actually done much since the last time I guessed it on here, so if you can... You can just like go to synapse.co, that's C-I-N-A-P-S-E.co, or follow me on Twitter at BLCAGNU. Um, I'm also going to be making some appearances on the Matinee Heroes podcast. Uh, specifically, I'm going to be uh, guest hosting on screen in October, so you can look forward to that. Cool. 
are Caro and Debbie. You can find some of my written stuff on ghoulishmedia.com. Uh, at least for the moment, we are moving over, becoming part of Phaser uh, with, a, with an R but no E. Yeah, you should be able to find some of my stuff there. I've got a couple of uh, pieces that I'll be doing soon um, about circles and Doctor Strange and the connection between us and Arthurian myth and stuff like that. So nice. um, You can also find us on Twitter. He is MoonPanther22, and I am either Debbie Morse or Bastet8300. Um, and we love to we love to chat about stuff. I periodically do when something really strikes my fancy. I'll do a I'll do a thread about it. I did one I'm quite proud of recently, but I can't remember what it was. It about. was Pleasantville. <laughs> yes, you found Apparently, it. the most forgettable movie of all time. <laughs> oh, and uh, Debbie also loves pictures of pets, especially cats. So send those to her. Yes, always. I always want to see pictures of your pets always greg as always you can find me with toby Yengius during our podcast on the new century multiverse at through the we actually just put out a show where we went out and said hey there's a bunch of great content out there on the fireside alliance in particular the stuff that was done with montressor media and Loki, specifically an ongoing YouTube series called Loki Sucks Dick, but more importantly with our own stuff, around the same time that this episode is going to release, we are going to have an interview with Jesse Ferguson of Recorded Tomorrow and talk about his involvement with the New Century Multiverse. It's going to be a banger. If you like time travel, definitely check out that episode of Through the Window. And uh, also, like, big well done to our Discord members, Chris Finnick and Alexa Vargas. This is the first time you've been on this show, and uh, I, I, Chris, you don't often go on podcasts at all, and you did really well, both of you. This Thank is my you. first time, long time listener, first time caller. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did great. You both did great. Hey, you're fantastic. Um, do you have anything you want to plug or pimp or talk about? Do you like fan fiction? Because that's all I got. I write a lot of fan fiction on fanfiction.net as Finmonster. And uh, if you like me occasionally saying dumb, funny things, you can follow me on Twitter at Finmonster09. Uh, he specifically has done a uh, series on uh, a team up of the Dark Tower, and I think this might have been for a while ago, but the Dark Tower and uh, Tiger's Eye crossover. And I've deliberately not read it so that I don't get ideas and then work them into the books. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you like uh, Stephen King and uh, my writing, and some for some reason haven't found this yet, go check out uh, Chris Finnick's uh, fanfic. He's also our trope editor on TVTropes.com. He's done cool. a bunch of stuff with School of Movies and all the new Century stuff out there. So that's another creative work of his. Indeed. Uh, and Alexa Vargas? Uh, yes. Uh, it was really so much fun to be here. Um, I'm on Twitter as Pluto Burns. I have vague posts about nerdy things uh, somewhat sporadically. I'm trying to stay off the hell bird site. Uh, uh, more and more, but yeah, me too. Um, I'm also Pluto Burns on YouTube, where I've actually been doing uh, manga reviews for about eight years now. I've got quite a back catalog, which is 
frankly getting more and more dysphoric for me every day, but I've left most of the back catalog up for historical reasons, and I've been branching out lately, doing not just manga stuff, I do some movies and game stuff now. And, oh. uh... And uh, one thing that uh, Pluto and I are doing, which is the least podcast-friendly thing you could possibly imagine, and that's learning American Sign Language together by uh, watching a series of videos on YouTube and kind of motivating each other. I can sign all kinds of stuff for you folks right now, but it's not going to help. <laughs> nice. I've also, I've also recently gotten onto TikTok. Not as Pluto Burns, some asshole stole my name. Oh. Um, I'm Alexa Vargius with an I. I just threw an I in there to get it past the name thing. Got it. It but, always um, comes yeah, back to stolen IP. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't want to be Alexa Vargas too. Nope, 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 never, never doing that. Cool. But um, yeah, no, I. that's where I'm going to be putting a lot more like kind of sketch comedy stuff. I used to put that in my YouTube videos, but I've really... I've really lost the passion for them there. I just kind of want to review the media at this point. So I'm going to try and do silly, not nerdy stuff uh, on TikTok and just keep it there. Okay. And that is all from us for this week. Our show on Batman the Animated Series, which I promised you last week, we didn't know we were doing Free Guy this week. It was, a, it was an impromptu show record, but it will be out next week. Until then, I have been the non-playable character designated Alex, broadcasting his pirate radio signal throughout the city. And I have been the uncredited programmer Sharon Shaw. Uncredited. <laughs> Uh, however, let's restore her, Sharon's credit as a key, key creator on this particular show. <laughs> and don't, don't have a good day, day. Have, have a great, great day.
Just a small aside on Twitter, by the way. Mm -hmm. They've figured out that people are abandoning their accounts and they have now locked it down. You can't get in to read beyond a certain point unless you log in. Uh, like, I, I keep click, people keep posting tweets in the Discord, and I'll click on them, and I can read maybe the first two in a thread, and then it won't let me expand the thread unless I log in. It won't let me look Ooh. at the trending page unless I log in. Well, you, why would you ever look at the trending page? Well, yeah, I know, but it's it used to that used to be my routine because you could get on there. Well. Should we deal with the Nazis? No. Shall we punish people for not being for being sick of Nazis? Yes. <laughs> Burn it down, it has to go. Nuke it from orbit, only way to be sure. Absolutely.